Well, hello everyone. You thought you were done with me for the summer, didn't you? Well, you never know what life is going to bring, am I right? And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that you can never, ever predict what's coming around the bend. I'd like to read the statement that fame made in light of recent events sparked by the horrible murder of George Floyd, but really as the result of hundreds of years of injustice, oppression, and anti-black sentiment. Fame is far from perfect, but we are striving to do better, both philosophically and practically. Here's the statement, which you can find on the Fame website and the episode page. Fame, standing with the black community. The Fire Island Association for Music Education believes black lives matter. We stand with the black community. We stand for opposing systemic racism, injustice, cruelty, and oppression. The resulting collective pain felt so widely across the nation and world has intensified our realization of how much we, as a music community, need to redouble our efforts to dismantle systems of racial oppression and injustice. We must listen to, learn from, and amplify the voices of Black, Brown, Indigenous, and people of color. Fame is taking a critical look inward and outward as we engage in profound discussions on how to reach, include, and center the voices of Black music teachers in our membership and on our board of directors. By doing so, it is our sincere hope we can give voice to marginalized communities and ensure that educators, students, and families feel a true belonging in our classrooms, schools, community, and nation. Thank you, Fame, for putting that out. Now, as you will hear me explain at the top of the interview, this episode was a long time coming. But when I read the post that Black music educator Jasmine Fripp shared on Facebook called, With Love, Letters to My Fellow White Music Colleagues, I knew I had to talk with her specifically, and I hope to talk to her again and invite more Black, Brown, and Indigenous music educators to the show in the future. Jasmine is a Charleston, South Carolina native and the newly appointed Director of Choral Activities in Nashville, Tennessee. She holds a Bachelor of Music Education from Winthrop University and is currently pursuing her Master of Music Education at Belmont University. This passionate Black music educator has made it her mission to equip students and schools with predominantly Black and Brown demographics with quality music education. I won't go on because I want you to start learning from Jasmine right away in this, the first of three podcast episodes featuring this interview. So let's get listening and I'll see you on the other side. So Jasmine Fripp, welcome to the podcast. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much uh, for being willing to sit down and educate me and those of our colleagues who are out there. Uh, teaching those young minds, some of them still doing it, some of them on vacation from doing it, but mm-hmm. all over the world uh, and right here in the United States. Uh, I wa- I wanted to say this ever since I kind of thought of this idea. I've been waiting for you, Jasmine, for a long oh. time. <laughs> <laughs> Is that oh, creepy? Feels good, to, <laughs> feels good to be wanted. But, uh, Sometimes I like I to guess. creep the guests out right away from the very right from the start so you know what you're getting into (laughs) no and and that's fine but you know on top of that just from our dialogue and conversation you seem like cool people oh well that's how I can fool you (laughs) (laughs) well I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this um 
And I know, you know, you're not super familiar with the Fire Robin Association for Music Education yet. Maybe maybe I'll change that by the end, but we call it FAME, um, which just sounds funny, but you get used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, uh, we went through some difficult times. We got called on the carpet for some I- issues, especially pertaining to... Uh, racist music that was in the collections and how were we addressing it? Were we addressing it? And there was just a lot of back and forth. Um, It was a painful time, but completely necessary. Uh, And absolutely, you know, the the tiny tip of the iceberg as we move forward, right? Trying to learn uh, about who we are as an organization, who we are as teachers and humans. Uh, I'm very glad, even though it can be tough that we have these people colleagues holding our feet to the fire and the organization um Mm -hmm. because we need to grow and growth is uncomfortable Uh, true growth is uncomfortable uh and so as all this was happening you know i was dialoguing with people reading debating you know issues about race kind of generally and specifically in music education um i had people yelling at me from what felt like three sides, because at that point I was the president of the organization. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm thankful for it. I wasn't always thankful for it right in the moment, but quickly after I realized how important it was. But what started happening was people would say, you need to be doing a podcast. You know, you should be interviewing people, and um, especially as this pertains to music education. And I kind of had this like dual pull in my heart. Like that seemed right. But mm-hmm. I kept saying, first of all, I don't want to step forward as this white passing person because I'm half Filipino. And I'm like, and be like, here I am to teach you about racism in music education because <laughs> I felt like I only had learning to do, you know. And mm-hmm. I didn't even want to like pretend to be some kind of expert. And so I really purposed in my heart, honestly, I just kind of thought, when the time comes, I want somebody on the show who speaks the truth, right, Um, doesn't mince words, um, but has the right feel for me. And maybe that's selfish, but that's what I thought. Um, And so no joke, I don't know, three weeks ago now? I can't remember. I'm sure you know better than I do. Some weeks ago. Accidental click, right? I rarely go into the choir director's pages on Facebook, (laughs) and I should go more. But I clicked on the wrong thing, and it took me right to your letter, uh, your post. And the post was called, if I'm remembering it right, uh, with love, with love, letters to my fellow, am I saying it right? (laughs) My fellow white music colleagues, which got my attention. Um, And to be honest, at first, I didn't read the whole thing because I think it's a composed by black music educator um, and your name. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I'll always stop and read something like that. And as I was reading through it, I literally thought, I found her. <laughs> this is the person who's going to help us um, not officially start, but like push the work forward. You know, and I want to be clear. No one thing I'm learning is no white person or educator should ever seek to be coddled in this work. It's tough work. Um, it's, we don't want to burden our black colleagues with like, you know, crying because we feel bad or, you know, frustration 
uh, these are all things that I've either felt or heard. You know, oh, I feel bad. You're making me feel bad. Stop yelling at me. You know, and so the thing that I loved in that letter, though, was that you were reaching out in love, but you didn't pull any punches. Um, you just struck a really good balance that is not necessary, but was nice. It was just like you could have yelled and it would have been perfectly justified, if that makes sense. But you didn't. And you just said, here's the good word. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> I just love that. You, you really, you know, you weren't, you just were like, kind of nice. But like, I'm trying to be a little bit nice, but I'm also tired. And let me just lay this out for you. And so thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your willingness uh, to do that. And thank you for being willing to be here because you must be exhausted. I'm going to say this time in our history and in our culture and for hundreds of years before now, um, you just must be tired. So I appreciate your willingness to be here. Um. I want to start, we're going to talk about that letter, but before we do, I want to start uh, by talking about the place of music in your life. Uh, this is something I'm always interested in asking, of course, as an early childhood music educator and researcher, what was the place of music as you were growing up and, and kind of how did that grow into you wanting to become a music educator? And then after that, if, if you're okay talking about it, tell us a little bit about how uh, you became that teacher and how you chose to go where you have been. Talk anything about th those experiences, if you would. So, hey, everyone. <laughs> I'm Jasmine Fripp. <laughs> how about Missy talking for 10 minutes and then the guest gets to talk. <laughs> so, first and foremost, thank you, Missy, for that beautiful introduction. And I, I just, we'll talk about it later, but I, I wasn't expecting the response that that letter got. I bet. I, I really wasn't prepared, <laughs> but... Um, you know, I, I grew up Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I grew up in a church and like I, I my family church hop a lot, so I wasn't there wasn't like a set of like a particular genre of Christian music that I was hip to. It I was all over the place. Okay. But my true start in music um began when I was in fourth grade. Um that's when I also started my journey of like going to predominantly white institutions and you'll hear me refer to them as PWIs. Okay. Um, from fourth grade on to 12th grade, I went to a school of the arts, but in fourth grade, the only reason why I wanted to join choir in the first place is because I wanted to go to Disney world. Uh, like that's that, a that's very <laughs> good reason to go to choir. If I could and, offer that to my students, I feel like I'd have a lot more participation in my choir. It, it was the every other year thing. So they would go to Disney one year, then the next year they'll go to Carowinds in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they'll oh, go back man. and forth. Sweet. But um, yeah, I, I got my start in fourth grade. And the funny thing is I didn't even get in choir. Like I auditioned, oh. but I didn't get into that choir. Oh, okay. Um, so I went and auditioned for Charleston County or Charleston's Children's Chorus with Jean Brezza. Okay. Um, and I got into that one. And then the following year, I wasn't feeling well, but I went to school and it was like, we have choir auditions. I was like, I guess I'll try. <laughs> so I, um, I auditioned again 
And before like she even posted the results because she already knew I was a part of Charleston's Children's Choir. She was like, so what voice part do you play? Or do you sing? <laughs> right. uh, well, yeah. You had an in. <laughs> yeah, I had an in. I was like, yeah, I'm big stuff now. <laughs> Excuse me. But um, yeah, side, side, uh, side story. But yeah, I started in fourth grade, um, went to school of the arts and uh, I was just exposed to so much. Like we went to Carowinds, not Carowinds, but uh, Carnegie Hall twice. Oh, wow. Um, we auditioned for all state, all county. I was number one in all county as far Ooh. as alto section is concerned. Number I was going to say, you state. have to be an alto. Yeah, definitely. I'm alto, alto. sister all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying. You hear it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with really, you. I'm actually a really lazy soprano, but that's that's point. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we had all of these opportunities. I would do regional choirs. I had the I had the opportunity to audition for national choirs. But you know, when I would go to these events, I would look around and not a lot of kids looked like me. Right. So that that became something I noticed and became a problem to me. And could you? Art- a- I'm sorry to interrupt. Could you articulate that then? Were you able to like, or was it just like a disequilibrium? Like why? Or were you like, hey, why are there only a few kids that look like me? You know, I, I would think about it, but I think because I was so young and I didn't have the emotional maturity that I didn't look too deep into it, that in my head was always in a book right. studying, especially because I was an all honors AP kid. Um, you. Yeah, I, I was like, after my best friend left the school, I was the only black kid after a while in those spaces. Wow. So it was just me. So like, I always had like this conscience like the two people you see yeah. in the cartoon going back and forth is like girl like you gotta represent like you can't let these people down like that's you, a lot of pressure like, it is a lot of pressure <sighs> um so my head was always in a book so I really didn't like I was really oblivious to a lot okay um around 11th grade year I started experiencing a dislike for music because it, it was just a lot of things that factored into it and I was deciding what I was going to do in college where I was going to go and I was like, I, I think I'm going to go to psychology route. And it, it wasn't until my teacher, he kind of had lost control of the class at a certain point. And he went to a national conference, asked this man named Jeffrey Redding okay. to come and teach or do a clinic with us. And he told us about it, but I was like, he's probably bringing some white guy in here <laughs> or whatever. Cool. When he walked in the room, and I saw he was a black man. Wow. My mouth hit the floor. I like I had like one or two black teachers in the past, but I never seen somebody who looked like me. And they they weren't just any old music teacher. They were but Dr. Redding is phenomenal. Yeah. If you ever get the chance to see him in action, whether it's an all state, he just won a Grammy not too long ago. Oh, really? Music education. Yeah. He's phenomenal. And like the way he just taught us the music and how he told us to look deeper into the music and make a personal connection to it. Hmm. I looked at him and said, that's what I want. Oh, that's awesome. That's what I want to do. So um, I studied at Winthrop University at uh, in um, Rock Hill, South Carolina, under Dr. Catherine Kinsey. Um, I taught from 2012 until 2015, took a three-year break, and just went to work at T-Mobile. And I um, came back 
and began my master's degree at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee under Dr. Jeffrey Ames. And I still haven't finished my degree yet, but that's the last point. Oh, I think uh, you will. I have a feeling you will. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's always it's, time. There's always time. Like, I'm done with the coursework. It's just the thesis. I understand. I, so, I totally um, understand. Yes. So, and I went back into teaching in 2018 and I've been teaching ever since and I've made it a lifelong mission and my, I've been very intentional with the jobs I've interviewed for. I want to work in spaces that are predominantly black and brown. Mm. Like that, those are, I do that intentionally. I'm a passionate black music educator. Yeah. And I want to give those kids the same opportunities that I was allotted. Right. So I think that's fantastic. And I'm glad you brought this up. This was not Mm -hmm. one of the questions, by the way, but I heard um, I started listening to a podcast called The Score um, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about um, their intention going through school. So the two I mean, it's new to me, but it was fantastic. It's like um, one of they're both band directors. You know how those band directors are. And, and they're in Texas. So, you know, that's like big deal band co- country. But it was so interesting. They were saying that so many of the undergrads they meet are like, um, I don't want to go to a school that's predominantly uh, black and brown. And then some mm-hmm. are so devoted like you. And I started mm-hmm. thinking, I don't know what I'm thinking about, but it just got my wheels turning like... Because I hadn't thought about asking you about how do we cultivate this um, passion for people going into black and brown schools. And should only black and brown teachers really be doing that? That's a hard question, but. It's really tough because that was brought to my attention when I was uh, getting prepared to or like doing the research for my lit review for um, my thesis. And. I want to say she was Hispanic. Like we basically, she basically was talking about how like we typically want to go to schools or teach at schools that look like the high school or middle school or elementary school programs that we attended. Mm -hmm. So that plays a factor. And um, once again, just like I said in my letter, it, the cycle all starts with colleges college Mm -hmm. programs, collegiate programs. So when you do your student teaching, when you go and observe in the field, I think it's very important to find these quality um, programs where there are predominantly black students, where there are predominantly brown students, where there's a black teacher in place so that they can see and not be fearful. I think a lot of it comes from them having this overall outlook of what a black and brown predominantly black and brown choir looks like sure um and i feel that if they go into field um experiences and observations and practicums and they work in these spaces they'll see that you know one the kids are beautiful right two like everybody's going to have their own problems in their programs and three, it, it's not as bad as you thought it would right. be. And are you talking about white educator, education kids, black education kids, or everybody? What do you think? 
I'm more so talking about white educators, but you could easily replace white educators with yourself if you sure. feel that that's what sure. you need to do. Yeah, I mean, um, I just thought, like, what would it be, like, what if I'm a new, or even now, like, what if I decide maybe I just want to go into, you know, a black and brown school? Is that, like, no, Missy, that's crazy. You can't do that, you know? No, yeah. it's very... It, it is very possible. I've seen it done thousands of times for white teachers to go into these black and brown spaces and navigate and be perfectly fine. Yeah. These these teachers are passionate about these kids. They understand their culture. They get time. They take time to know them outside of their culture. Like, what are these what are these kids like? What do they dislike? What right. makes them tick? What what would they enjoy doing? What would they enjoy learning about? Like, they right. take the time to just get like to know any good kids. teaching. I mean, <laughs> just like any good teacher. Yeah, I just didn't know if if you would say like no. You know, uh, probably not a good idea for a white educator to think I want to go like here we have Philly. Right. I have Mm -hmm. so many um, colleagues who are trying to get out of Philly because it's they're saying it's a mess. They're saying and sometimes I think um, I I can't speak to doing it, but I kind of think, should we be trying to go into those schools and affect change through music or is just not my place? I say and uh, I, I know, say this, this is a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I say go where you feel you're going to grow. Yeah. And you feel that you're going to be the most beneficial because I've worked I've worked in tough spaces. I, I've worked with I, I've worked in tough spaces and in all honesty, to me personally, you know, kids will be kids. Yep. <laughs> they kids sure will. will be kids. Um but if you don't have the support of the administration mm-hmm. and the district behind you, it's a wrap. Yeah, that's like, what's because hard. You, that's, that's the hard part. Like, you can have these fabulous, like, I've worked in a space where the kids were, they were rough. But when you really, like, break that exterior and you sit down and you talk with them and they see that you aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Like, they're, these kids are amazing. Okay. It's just I didn't have the backing of my administration. I did not have the backing of the school district to continue to endure this. And mm. it caused anxiety sure. on me. Yeah. And that was starting to affect my family. So I had to leave. Yeah, that's really rough. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's... I, I, I don't think it's the kids a lot of times. I really think it's the administration. And I don't... And, of course, the district. But I don't want to put everything on certain people because you know we all have like sure. I'm pretty sure if I talk to those same um people from Edmond today or the district um they would tell me all the problems that they're dealing with yeah so yeah I think yeah, it's these- I think what you said is good it's like you have to go you have to go where you can um when I say fit I'm, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right word but it's like it has to be the right fit meaning all those things have to work together. You know, you have to have some, or you can't be, you can't be fighting with the admin um, and get no support and get, that's going to be brutal. Right. So go where you feel you can grow and you can help others grow along with you. Mm. But how do I want to say this? Go where you can, where, go where you can grow, go where you feel you can help others grow, but don't, be afraid to enter a specific school district or a specific school because of what you see. Ah, that is, that's like a, as my therapist says, that's a post-it moment. 
Put that on a post-it and put it on your computer screen and watch it. I love that. All right. Well, thank mm-hmm. you for answering that kind of no extra question. But this kind of goes to it. What do you love about what you teach? What What do you love about it? What are the challenges for you? What are your students like? Uh, what do you love about them? Like today, I, th- I had a kid online, my online teaching, um, mm-hmm. and I said to her, you are seriously more annoying online than you are in real life. <laughs> She's like putting the camera up against her face and bouncing a thing on the camera. And I'm like, this has just got to be kids all over the world. Like, I, oh, just, yeah. it, it, just, it's oh, not, yeah. this is not just my little quiet suburban, you know, like. So what, what are the things you love and the things that really get to you about teaching in general and your students? Um, I, I think I've. I've already answered the latter part of the question. So like, yeah, I, sure. I just like, like I said, kids will be kids, but it, your job becomes way harder when you feel like, or, you know, for certain, you don't have the support of your administration or the school district. Um, but I, I just want to dispel this one stereotype. I have worked in, of course I've worked in black and brown spaces the kids aren't as bad as people make them out to be. They're hmm. typically not even bad kids. Like, right. like every single kid goes through something. Um, and let me tell you something. The parents are some of the most supportive human beings I've ever met. That's fantastic. Like, they're not only supporting me in the classroom. They support me. I, I The parents have bought me meals. Wow. <laughs> uh, that like, doesn't really happen where I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it happened. Like when I was living in Orangeburg, South Carolina, like those parents looked out for me, especially me being a young teacher. They were so supportive. Like, what was your vision? Uh, how can we fundraise? What can we do? Baby, have you been eating? You need oh, to make word. sure you eat. Make sure you get some sleep. Don't put all your energy. Make sure you take some time for you. Like th- these parents are supportive. That's fantastic. Like, Good for you. Village- yeah, when the village comes out, the village comes out. Oh, um, but yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. And as far as like what I love about teaching, especially with black and brown kids, I love building relationships, um, especially with my students and my parents, just getting to know what their dreams are. And I do everything in my power to make sure they have. That's why I'm so open to just like sending a Facebook message like, hey, I, I have a kid who wants to do this. Do you have a resource for that? Can mm-hmm. you come work with my kids? Like I, I love connecting my kids with people. Uh, I love providing them with opportunities that they never thought they may have. Like um, just connecting them with colleges, providing them with those opportunities to have those scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, giving them performance opportunities um, and wow. singing for a variety of people, mayors, Grammy award winning artists, presidents of universities. Like that's fantastic. those opportunities. Yeah, they're out there and performing a variety of music. One thing about me, I consider myself a crossover music educator, um, meaning that I, of course, I'm um, classically trained. I have, I understand the choral standards and whatnot, but I, I love rap. I love EDM. I love, um, I, I feel, I feel I kind of cool that I know what EDM is, but it's only because of my teenagers. <laughs> um, I'm a big jazz head. I love learning about hip hop. Um, I love Neo Soul. I, I'm learning to, I'm learning about K-pop because I have so many kids who love it. Oh K-pop. yeah, man. They love it. Oh my gosh. I, I love Lana Del Rey, Billie, 
Billie Eilish is my girl. Oh man, one of my kids just sang a Billie Eilish song for her talent show. So I, I'm a, I'm a crossover music educator, so I don't just believe in teaching them choral standards. Like I, I do it to the best of my abilities sure. with authenticity, to the best of my abilities, and I bring in those resources, like I said. But I. I in the winter concert and like up until festival, I focus on the choral music, but the second half is theirs. The second half of the year is there. So like I'll teach them Motown. I'll teach them hip hop. I'll teach them um, what have I done in the past, uh, musical theater. Like I'll I'll let them have a showcase where they sing songs that they want to sing. In the past, I've had an acapella group where we just sung songs that they really liked from the radio. And we found a way to like organize and, I I just love exposing my kids to as many things as possible. Well, I can tell, you know, I always say, um, any person listening to this knows this, I I do five things really well. Like my husband can do about 95 things pretty well. I do five things really well and everything else I stink at. Um, (laughs) But one thing I am really good at is identifying um, a really excellent educator. And I think that's something that I heard even in your post and I see it on your face. I wish everybody could see it. Um, mm-hmm. I hear it in what you're saying that, you know, you have this compulsion to propel them forward, you know, as humans, as musicians. And that's something also I wanted to say about your your post. Um, I, I couldn't – I was so amazed at how you literally were like – Sure, I'll, you know, I'll send you a private message or why don't you email me? And like, there were like stuff, it felt like 700 comments. And you literally were just like almost on every one of them, you know, answering. Mm-hmm. And that call that calls up a very generous spirit, um, which you need to have if you're going to be an impactful educator. So thank you uh, for doing that. And what a great segue into the next question, which was, what prompted you to do that post? I, I think I remember you saying, maybe you did a live, I'm kind of conflating everything in my head, where you were mm-hmm. like, it was on your heart, you were kind of bothered by, you know, you were just like ruminating over all this stuff, and then you just pressed send, you know, on the post. Can you talk a little bit about what led up to that? And what made you just push the button? So little backstory. So there was a specific teacher. She's a great human being, but I I had, and she, she's white and she's worked in predominantly black spaces for some time now. Okay. Awesome human being. But I had, I had a feeling and I heard that she, or her views her political views were not in line with the body of students that she worked with. Right. So I went to her Facebook to see like if she had posted anything about what's going on today. And you know, everybody fights differently. So sure. just because you're on Facebook yeah. doesn't mean like you're necessarily doing the work or vice versa. Like just because you're not on Facebook doesn't mean you're out there marching or right. having these conversations. But when I saw that she was just carrying on like nothing. Oh, <laughs> that's like, rough. Like with, like nothing was going on. Like her kids in the classroom weren't oh. um, affected by it. Like that, you know, I wasn't really upset with her. 
I, I, I really wasn't, but I was just like, how? How? Yeah, I was just going to say. So I, I began, and it, I have ADD. So like, I went from that to like thinking about, you know, how, you know, there, there are a lot of music educators who work in these black spaces and they don't care anything about these kids. Not saying that she didn't, but right. there are, um, there are some arrangers who don't really care about our music. Like they don't even take the time to authentically like teach their kids the music, let alone go learn about it. So at first it was just going to be like a three line status. And then I sat down and I really started typing at the just computer. Pouring out of you. And it just happened. And like in the middle of me, keep in mind, like I'm still trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with my thesis for um math, my master's program, because my thesis title is a comparative study of the effects of music education in title one and not and non-title one schools mm. in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, but I, I got so stuck in the second chapter because I started looking at the history of um, the school system within Nashville. And I realized how segregated it was and how it still shows. Mm-hmm. Like you can still see the segregation yeah. in a sense. So like I, I'm wrestling with this because like I'm now going from doing a comparative study to now I want to rename my thesis to how systematic racism effed up our music programs and other ish. Um, I'm <laughs> right. looking at the past, past and present of uh, Nashville and the segregation and resegregation of it. Mm. Um, so I'm wrestling with this because I need to be writing my thesis, but in the middle of me writing that post, I feel like God spoke to me and was like, you are writing your Yeah, thesis. I was just going to say, it sounds like a real good outline to me. Yeah, I was literally writing my thesis. So um, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really know, like, how do I want to say this? I, I didn't really know if I should have been that one to really press post. I, I was shaking. Mm. Like it was at one in the morning when I started and it wasn't until six 30 in the morning when I, I stopped. That's crazy. I was like, and I was like throughout the whole thing, I had to re go, go back and edit something. So I was like, am I saying this out of anger or am I saying this out of passion? Mm. And I wanted to find a healthy balance so that the white people who did read this didn't think, Oh, there's another angry black woman. Yes. I'm angry to an extent, but I sure. want you to understand that this, this is not something that I'm just spitballing, not something that I just I'm doing to gain attention or anything. Right. I, I'm, this is stuff that has been manifesting in me for 30 years, sure. watching all of this take place for 30 years. And some people have dealt with it longer. So I was just like, but God, what happens if like people don't respond well what happens if like they think I'm a joke, but like I had all these insecurities and God was like, girl, just this press post. Like, right. what are you doing? So I, I pressed post, I went to sleep and I closed the computer, not in that order. Cause that'd be weird, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I just closed oh, man. The computer, went to sleep. And then I, originally I only posted it on my page. And I woke up and it was such a big, like, it was like 49 likes. And I was right. like, y'all, 
double spaced. <laughs> this is a six page yeah, paper. It's, it's a lot to read. And yeah. And people sat there and read it. Yeah, they and did. some people were like, you should post this. And I am a choir director group. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm going to post it. And I'm going to just walk away from the computer. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I came back and there was so many shares and so I many know it was crazy. That's I awesome. Was like, I was so proud of people, yeah. not just white people, but everybody. People. Like, yeah. There was there was such positive there's so much positive dialogue and people really wanting to learn and understand like how do we fix this? Now I don't I don't know if it's because and I'm a, I'm gonna be quite frank with you I don't know if this is what I call um, colonization amnesia like we're gonna go strong about right. this for like right. a couple of weeks right. and, and then, then forget like, yeah but you know while I got the ears let's talk yeah no I think I was just talking to somebody about this and I don't know anything about what it's like to have to try to promote something so important right i mean i know what it's like to promote music education right mm-hmm. but you have a lot of people who agree with you and so it's it's not like you know your life and death stakes mm-hmm. but i was saying you know i had somebody write to me recently who's like why you have to be calling everybody out all the time why do you have to be doing this and then another person's like you're not doing it enough and another and i said well, here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna keep pushing forward the way i mm-hmm. think my gut and my God tell me how to go forward. Amen. Because if I have to listen to every voice, I'll listen to the ones I respect. It doesn't mean I'm yeah. not listening. But if I have to take the time to listen to every single voice that's coming at me, I'm going to become overwhelmed and I will stop. But if I pare down the voices to the ones I really love and respect and the ones who support me, and I'm praying and I'm thinking, and I think it's time to press post, then I'm going to press post and I think mm-hmm. that's exactly what you did. And if we keep doing this, right, if we can think of it as the marathon it needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. it will keep going. It will keep going. And I think your post, um, I don't think I'm overstating this. I mean, it really swept through a pretty important music community, not the only ones, but there are a lot of music educators on Facebook. That's just the truth. It might be silly to some and not to others. But you know, there are a lot of people on Facebook because music teachers are an island a lot of times where we are. Mm -hmm. And so when we can have a community and we find it, we're clinging to each other, you know? So when I saw that, even I I posted it in Fire Robin Fundamentals, which is like our primary thing, was right away, it was like 200 likes immediately a hundred and something on the podcast page i i showed you remember i mm-hmm. i sent you a picture it's up to like nineteen thousand um people have seen that post now i don't know what you know how much they interacted with it but nineteen thousand people jasmine imagine if one thousand of nineteen thousand read that i'm getting chills you are changing the world because you are changing the minds of those who change the minds that are going to change the world. And so, oh, getting a little teary-eyed. <laughs> I'm not crying because I'm a strong woman. Um, but I think I'm answering the question I asked you. Why was there such a why was there such a strong response? Because and 
I don't think I'm wrong. Um, it's what we needed to hear. It just was what we needed to hear at the right time to kind right. of catch on to what's happening and get people motivated to make real change. And you gave them, us, me, concrete steps. That's what can be so hard. When you don't have a practical roadmap, it can be very difficult. And you said things. Don't do this. Do this. And then you would say, this is my opinion. This is what I think. Like, it just was such a good balance. And so I think that when you pressed post, you affected something in thousands and thousands of teachers' lives that will impact thousands and thousands of children. Um, so, okay, everybody go faint for a minute and then go. <laughs> <laughs> and I, if you're okay talking about this, part of what's going on is people who are, we have been asleep for way too long, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to, I'm like, some of us are like still in the, you know, REM stage, but we're coming out of it. But I would like you to talk to, if you're willing, the systemic racism that we know is a part of our country, if you'd like to, but certainly how you see it impacting college training. And then very sadly, elementary, middle, high school, general, choral, instrumental, church programs, anything you want to talk to, you don't need to talk about all of that. <laughs> That's a lot. Is there anything that comes to your mind when I ask you to talk about systemic racism and how it's impacting music education? Um, I, I'll speak to it a little bit because I'm, I'm still completing that research and sure. it's been a minute since I touched on that portion of my thesis. Like I said, when I was working on the second chapter and looking into the history uh, behind uh, Nashville's educational system, like it, I became overwhelmed, I became furious, yeah. and I just shut down. That and life, life. Life but can be tough. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I guarantee, like, if people really look into the history of the school systems within their local community, you'll find that a lot of this information is still ve very relevant. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, Nashville. Um, it was segregated, then desegregated, then resegregated for the most part. Mm -hmm. So like you have Nashville, Davidson County, you have Rutherford County, and then you have Williamson County. So like when they started integrating the school systems and they started rezoning specific areas, they, there was a white flight. Mm -hmm. So you'll see that Davidson County is where all of your black and brown babies are. Okay. And then you'll see in Rutherford and Williamson County, you'll see that that's where all of your white students are. Um, if they're in Davidson County, they're either going to go to the two magnet schools. I'm speaking high school now. They're right. going to go to the two magnet schools and some of your other and some of the other schools in certain areas. Um, and you'll see that a lot of the kids, a lot of white kids will go to private schools. Oh. Um, you, you just see a whole lot. And you notice that like, there's a struggle for funding within Davidson County 
but and I, I don't know everything going on in Rutherford and Williamson County, but it, from the outside looking in, they're, look, they're living lavish. Like I've been mm. to some of these schools for events and the halls are clean. They have plenty of supplies, like they're vending machines. There's no trash around it. Um, they like the, the small things like having light fixtures that work, right. um, the resources, like if you go to Davidson County and you tour some of those schools, you'll see the complete opposite. Wow. So you'll, you'll see just that. And when you have a lack of resources, a lack of funding, a lack of opportunities, unless you're just a dope teacher who's obviously overpaid and underworked, but who's still willing to go um, above and beyond the call of duty and they go out and they provide those opportunities. Mm. I, I've seen it time and time again within the music classroom. Um, and you know, that those lack of resources and those lack of opportunities and the lack of funding, those affect our middle high school and elementary school babies. Yeah. So um, it, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but you think that segregation ended some years ago, right. but it's still right. alive and well. And it not affect it not only affects our programs, but it affects our our schools. Right. I don't know how it couldn't. Uh, I mean Yeah. I mean it's a simple it, proposition. If your lights aren't working and you know, the kids can't learn the same way. If yeah. you're not affording them uh the the things they the basics, forget all the extras. Mm-hmm. So do you think there's a way to address this in the in college music programs or is it just a matter of we're just going to have to keep going above and beyond like what you're saying? So I don't think the college programs can fix the internal issues of within the school districts right, sure. but what they can do is promote um don't just send your student teachers off to the best schools yeah. with the best programs and all the resources. Don't send them over to just utopias like show or not even, and don't even just have them go and observe these classrooms where they may not have it all. Have them student teaching them. That's a great um, idea. Because, yeah. Because, you know, I, I applaud there's one specific college professor who she wanted to have one of her students come work with me um, one year, but one, I left. And two, when she did try to get that approval, that school didn't allow it. So it's a double, uh, it's a, it's a catch 22, I guess. Sure. So, but if you're, if the school allows it and they want, and you want your student teacher to go work with them for that semester, and you know, they're pushing out quality, um, quality choirs, like do it. Because there, there's so much beauty even in struggles. Yeah, of course. And and you can you can learn how to navigate and work through it. And I feel like that's like I said earlier, that's a part of the reason why so many kids have this they have this preconceived notion that, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to predominantly black or brown school because X, Y, and Z. Like they already have those thoughts in the back of their head. Break that cycle. Yeah. So that's a step. And um, like I said in my letter, college, colleges, it starts with you, especially within our PWIs, like equipped your babies with as many resources as possible. These white European composers, 
they're cool and all like their music is lit or whatever right but uh i i don't want to i took a whole course on bach and his influence yeah. on music education like why why not teach about debts and his influence sure. in the black music world like teach about these spirituals when you have advanced choral literature choral choral literature works like have these spirituals within your class when they have voice lessons teach them spirituals right teach them how to sing spirituals work on that vocal flexibility like it it, it really starts with the colleges like if you break the cycle and say hey you can thrive in all spaces whether they're black yeah. white hispanic Asian, you can work in all spaces and we're going to equip you with those tools to do so by teaching you music, teaching you the the composers, teaching you how to be anti-racist, um, mm-hmm. teaching you how to navigate in certain spaces. Um, it, it's very possible, but we got to start with the colleges. Yeah, you're, you're right. I hadn't even yeah, thought if, about it until you said it like that. Because- yeah, because when you, when you do that they're more willing to go into these spaces right and they're not so fearful and trying to run for the hills after the first semester the first year of them teaching it <laughs> right right and just like you said you're equipping them because no kid is going to be like you know okay so i studied you know and i'm classically trained too so it's like i have all this i'm ready to go to the black and brown school and you know start teaching about spirituals i would if i were in high school teaching in high school i would be afraid to do it um, because I'm not mm-hmm. equipped. Uh, and so, so many of us are having to back, like unlearn and relearn. But if you can do mm-hmm. it right from the beginning, um, what a change it could be for those teachers going to those students, which would generate Absolutely. more music educators. Absolutely. And another thing, like the praxis needs to change. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's added a whole lot of more diversity since I took it in 2012. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I don't even remember uh, when I took But it. I, I recall only one Black question, and it was pretty much, uh, whose voice is this? And they obviously played Ella <laughs> right. Fitzgerald. I was just going to say, was like, <laughs> Louis Armstrong or Ella Fitzgerald? Nah, <laughs> it, was, it was like real, it was really obvious. Like right, they sure. had Bach, Handel, <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald. And I was like, What? <laughs> I was like, y'all, y'all can do better than this. <laughs> but that's when nobody's calling you on the carpet. Like, so they did whatever they wanted. And hopefully we can see that change. And I'm thankful to know some college professors who are white college professors who are starting to completely rethink, which mm-hmm. is huge. And I know that you must have... Uh, gotten to some of them you know in what you said and i'm sure you're hearing that i would i'm still baffled by it like i I saw a couple of a couple of professors say yeah this is not required reading (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome we're we're adding this to the syllabus yes exactly Uh, so and I, i think i had a mama i made it moment when i was in like a conference call and like the people in the conference call were saying, yeah, we saw your post. It was amazing. Yada, yada. And one person in particular was like, yeah, my director from FAMU, um, <laughs> it's an HBCU down in Florida. Right. 
or a historically black college or university down in Florida. It was like, yeah, my professor from FAMU, he he contacted me. He was like, have you read what this girl wrote? And I was That's, like, I'm mad whoa. it. I'm mad <laughs> I mean, really, is it how many steps are we away from Beyonce contacting you? I, I mean, Beyonce, listen, if you want to, if, if, if you want to. I mean, I'm willing to facilitate that conversation as a as a kind of a sitting in between you guys, and then you guys can go out and have yes. dinner. <laughs> like the Queen of America can yes, contact me now. Exactly. The same way she laid hands on Chance the Rapper and laid hands on Cardi B. Like I need I her mean, to lay hands on my life. Yeah. So when Beyonce uh, touches those people, they come out with Grammys. Yeah, I'm my, just saying you might be the like next Grammy winning music educator. Listen, uh, I missed the deadline, but like I'm speaking this into existence. I'm but here with you. I would, I'm observing I would, it. I would love to be the first black female music educator to win a Grammy for music education. Can I tell you something? I have a friend who won a Grammy for music education, so I will connect you. and Maybe she could give you some tips. Yes. <laughs> yes. So first of all, let me state the obvious. Jasmine Fripp doesn't need my help when she meets Beyonce. And notice I say when she meets Beyonce, not if she does. I'm just a nerd who is trying to work myself in there. And I don't know, can you blame me? Well, you probably could, but you know what I'm saying. Second, the friend who I so casually name dropped without actually giving a name is Grammy Award Music Educator recipient Melissa Salguero. And I've shared her info, along with a link to the SCORE podcast I mentioned in the interview, and a list of some Black music educators and leaders that Jasmine recommends on this episode's page. So please check it out. There was a lot to absorb in this episode. One of the most powerful moments for me was when Jasmine described the first time a Black music educator came into work with her high school choir and how, for Jasmine, seeing someone who looked like her and who was so good at what he was doing helped her realize that she wanted to be that educator for other Black and brown kids. I admire Jasmine's intentionality in working with students in black and brown spaces in order to help them grow, but also so that she herself might grow. And speaking of growing, I have homework for you. You weren't expecting that, were you? Before part two of this series with Jasmine, I'm going to put her letter on the website. You can also find it on Facebook on the I'm a Choir Director page or Jasmine's personal page, or the Tuneful Beatful Artful podcast page. Go read it for the first time, or for the second, third, or fourth time, so you can better absorb the truth pancakes that Jasmine is going to be serving up in future episodes. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember, always keep seeking to grow and learn as you help create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world. 